Good to see everybody this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be working our way through uh, chapters 3 and 4 today as we continue in our series, Christianity Over Culture. Um, We live, I think, um, maybe a little biased, but in one of the greatest countries that's ever existed. Um, We live at a great time. I feel like uh, the era in which I've grown up has been very exciting uh, and fun. It it related to uh, things that have been developed and what we're um, discovering and what we've created. And and I think we live in a a fun country in a fun time, Uh, though we have our challenges and difficulties to be sure. Um, That happens in every era, it seems. And yet... um, and yet that's where we're at. And, and today, as we look at this series, Christianity Over Culture, we understand that our culture that we live in, the human culture that we grew up in, it influences us a lot. And depending on the nature of it, it influences us in different ways. Um, our family of origin uh, influences us. The, the heritage we come from, right, that influences us. And then just the culture of the community that we live in and the country that we live in have a great deal of influence on us. Um, This week, the big idea over these two chapters is relating to spiritual leaders. And so uh, we look periodically in the scriptures as we study through these books. We have uh, the topic of leadership come up, and there's some issues related to leadership. And so one of the things we're going to see in this text today is that the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, um, was influenced by their culture more than by Christianity, their faith in their relation to leaders. And so there was a problem and issue, and we'll look at that today in this text. Um, As I grew up in this culture, and uh, I think, again, um, humbly, but a really cool decade that I was kind of junior high and high school growing up was the 80s. And uh, there was really some fun things about the 80s. Some of you got to experience that. Some of you uh, at different ages, right? But um, I think most of you were alive in the 80s. Maybe not everybody. But, uh, but anyway, I uh, experienced different things and I kind of got caught up in or drawn into um, the brand culture of America, brands. And so I realized pretty young, as soon as I got in junior high, I started, uh, I had a little bit of my own money and I found out that I liked Levi's 501 shrink to fit jeans. I like those, found the size that was right for me, they fit my style. And, uh, and then I also found that I like Nike shoes and uh, especially like Nike leather high tops. Man, I was really into those, and, and uh, as soon as I was able to buy a pair, I did, and I really enjoyed that. And then uh, as I went through junior high and high school, different eras, different things hit me. Um, for a while there, I was really into OP or Ocean Pacific brand, so I'd buy those t-shirts. That was really cool. Came from California, you know, where the surfers were, and he thought that was awesome. Um, I had a Gordon and Smith or GNS skateboard that I was pretty loyal to. I felt like that was a cool brand, and I really got into that. was never great at it, but I spent a lot of time working at it. Um, I liked Kawasaki dirt bikes, and, uh, and so I got into that brand. But brands really got my attention, and I was really loyal to them and got into them. Maybe you did the same thing. Our culture produces, again, some pretty cool stuff. And a lot of it is certainly pretty benign. It's okay for us to engage in and to participate in and to enjoy. And so um, I certainly did that in a lot of ways. Um, one of the issues, though, is our culture teaches us things about how to handle life, how to handle situations. And that is where we can run into a problem because our culture will lead us in the wrong direction because it is governed primarily by forces that are not of God. 
read the scriptures and we know that the world system is what it's called. The world system is governed by the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. He's the enemy. So he's influencing people all the time. And then as people, we struggle because the Bible tells us that we have, before we trust Christ, we have what is called a sin nature. And that's a part of us, really, it permeates all of our being, and it has a propensity to do what we want to do instead of doing what God wants us to do. And so we have this propensity constantly to do the opposite of what we should do, which the Bible calls sin. Of course, we're called to represent God, to reflect him. We're made in his image, and so we're to live in a way that reflects his character. And yet we will not do that until we believe and trust in Jesus. You know, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And of course, Easter, we get at the core of the gospel, which is that Jesus came from heaven. The Son of God, or God, right, existed for all eternity with the Father. And he came to earth and he took on a human body. He walked among us. He did things that only God can do. He revealed to us who God is. And ultimately, he went to the cross. He suffered and died. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and the Bible says that was for the payment of our sins. Jesus was, uh, he was killed on that cross, verified by the Roman soldiers who participated in the execution. They were expert executioners, and as we know, he was verified dead. He was pulled down from the cross by some of his closest followers. He was placed in the tomb. That was on Friday. Three days later, Sunday morning, right? Mary Magdalene and some other women went to the tomb. They were going to check on Jesus. They were distraught. They found the stone was rolled away and his body was gone. And then he appeared to his disciples, proving that he had risen from the dead. And so this is the gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is God. That he did die and rise again. And that when I put my faith and trust in him, my sins can be forgiven. I can be made right with God. And I can be clean and free from the sin that I am guilty of. And then the Bible says that something amazing happens, that our sin nature gets cut away from our being so that we no longer have to sin, but we can do what's right before God. The problem is that you can trust in Christ. And we're going to see that with the Corinthians here. Trust in Christ, but make very little progress to mature as a Christian. I can choose to trust in Jesus believe that he is the son of God, that he died for my sins, put my faith and trust in him. But I can move very slowly in my maturation process or becoming a mature Christian. And that immaturity is what we're going to see in the Corinthians here, the church in Corinth. They were living as immature Christians, almost like they weren't Christians at all. And so the apostle Paul, who's the, their spiritual father, he's the one who led them to Christ. He's the one who started their church. He got them off and going as Christians. He has to deal with some of these issues. See, the truth is, again, we can be set free from sin, but we can still live in bondage to it. It's one of the more frustrating things about this life and about being a Christian. Our culture can influence us, right? And if we continue to follow it, rather than our faith, we will remain immature. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, September 22nd, 1862. The moment it went into effect on January 1st, 1863, every slave living in the Confederacy was free. The problem is they didn't know they were free. And so they, it took some time to communicate to them their freedom. They were positionally free. Under the law, they were free. But they weren't living free from that slavery. 
This is one of the things we see in this passage today that we must become aware of our freedom and we must walk into it by living in obedience to God. Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul describes this thing that happens in us that sets us free from the bondage of sin. Colossians 2, 11 through 15 says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Next week, we're going to have some folks get baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet, God's been putting it on your heart. Please contact me or contact church office. That's been happening. So we have a number of people that want to get baptized next week. God's been moving in them to do that. But Paul says, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them, by pub- he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Your sin has been paid for, right? Your sin has been paid for by Jesus. And um, it was crucified, nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so if you put your trust in him again, that sin nature is cut away so you can now live in obedience. And that's what we must do. We've got to learn to listen to the spirit, to live by the spirit, to read the word of God and grow in him. This is why we focus so much as a church on discipleship. Discipleship really is that process where you're taught and you're held accountable and you're encouraged to grow, to live in obedience to Jesus. We have a lot of discipleship classes here. Um, Remember that we have this mission statement that we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers. Disciple makers are disciples who are leading other people, growing other people, helping to reproduce themselves. So we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where they live, work, and play. Well, if we're going to become people that can influence others, then, of course, we need to be growing. And so, again, always encourage you to check into, um, with Pastor Luke, opportunities to get discipled because we have a lot of those. And even just through Easter, we've had a number of people interested in that and pursuing that. And so, encourage you in that. We need to be constantly growing. When we don't mature, again, we can fall into problems and have issues like the one in Corinth that Paul, the, the apostle, has to deal with. Last week, Pastor Luke, as he started this series, dealt with this a little bit, but it really gets hit hard in chapters 3 and 4, this idea of spiritual leadership. The first principle we see in chapter 3, as we just look at an overview of this chapter, is that spiritual leadership should help us mature in Christ. Spiritual leadership should help us mature in Christ. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, the first four verses. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Like, I couldn't talk to you like you were believers, followers of Jesus. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you were unbelievers, right? Or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, anything more substantial. Um, You know, as little children grow up, 
they first need milk, but then slowly their parents start to feed them solid food. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying spiritually, you weren't ready for solid food, so I had to continue to give you milk. He says further, and you still aren't ready. Um, it's been some period of time, and they still are not ready for solid food. Um, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. He's like, you're still listening, you're still following the desires of your flesh. You're listening to human wisdom and reason. You're responding incorrectly to the issues you're facing. He goes on, you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. He says, here's two sin patterns, two sin issues that reveal you're not growing up. You're jealous and you fight. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? He says, aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? He's, he's like, listen, guys, when you get caught in these issues, these conflicts between leaders, you're handling it as immature Christians. And so I think there's three things here that when we, when we look at a spiritual leader, what a spiritual leader is supposed to do for us, again, a spiritual leader is to help you mature. That's the purpose of a spiritual leader. A pastor is in your life. Elders are in your life. Um, spiritual leaders are there to help you mature. That's the explicit purpose, okay, that they have. That's their job and their role. And so understand that. It's important because part of the problem here is the Corinthians weren't viewing spiritual leaders the way God intended. They were viewing spiritual leaders just like leaders in the world. And this got them off track. And so there's three areas that a spiritual leader will help you in. One is to eat solid food to be able to handle solid spiritual food. Um, a lot of you know my wife, Mary, and uh, she's an amazing person. She spent years being a nurse. At four years old, she knew she was called to be a nurse. At four years old, I'm pretty sure I knew I was called maybe to ride my bike, maybe to go beat on my brother. <laughs> like, I don't know, but it wasn't anything big like that. She's an amazing person, but she has this ability to nurture things. And last, oh boy, I think this was last spring, um, we were out messing around doing something out in the, in the yard, kind of out in the field. And all of a sudden we hear these little, sound like little birds chirping. You know, I don't know. I can't do it. My voice is cracking. But, but we hear these little sounds. We don't know what they are. We're looking around all of a sudden we see coming out of the hay pile, like five little kittens that look like they're about dead, you know, and they're just coming out shaky and they're crying. And my wife takes those little kittens and she uh, puts them in a little box and she gets like a little eyedropper, right? And the right formula milk. And she wills those babies, kittens to live. I don't know how she does it. Um, I would not have been able to do it, but she does. And she saved most of them. And uh, now, as you know, happens with kittens, they grow into cats. Right? They needed milk for a while, but pretty soon they grew beyond that and they started eating real food. Now, thankfully, because I'm more of a dog person than a cat person, but thankfully the cats catch mice. I see it happen. I'm like, yes. Okay. I'm not just pouring food into them for no reason. They're actually doing something. And so they're doing it. But also what cats do is they have more cats, right? <laughs> and so two of our beautiful little kittens turned into mama cats who have now both given birth to kittens. So we got more little kittens around that are drinking milk. But here's the thing. 
Um, this time she's not having to feed them. But, um, but here's what happens, right? This is natural progress. This is what's supposed to happen. A spiritual leader, guys, a pastor, an elder, a spiritual leader, is to help you grow spiritually, to help you move beyond milk, to be able to eat spiritual solid food. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes that's uncomfortable for both the leader and the people that are being led. It's, it is not a fun process always because growth can be uncomfortable. I think a good leader, a good spiritual leader is going to press you a little bit. He's going to challenge you a little bit. He's going to ask you at times to do something more so that you're really growing. A spiritual leader can simply prepare a meal for you and feed you all the time. He could do that. That could be what's done. And in some ways, that'd be easier because it's less abrasive. (laughs) But the problem with that is that that helps and really in some ways causes us to stay at the level we're at. It keeps us from growing. And so we want to allow spiritual leaders to help us grow, to get beyond milk, to be able to eat solid food. Again, discipleship's about that. Our discipleship classes are to help you so that you get a meal on Sunday And we work really hard, and I work really hard, to give you something really good that can help you and is going to encourage you, right? And that's spirit-filled, and and you're inspired and challenged and maybe convicted, and that God speaks to you. That's our goal. But you also cannot live on one meal a week, right? You wouldn't live if you ate once a week. And so that's why our discipleship classes are to help you begin to learn how to get in God's Word, how to benefit, how to... to, um, Uh, feed yourself in a sense that you can read God's word and take something away from it, gain from it so that you can eat throughout the week. That's going to help you grow and ensure that you do. The second thing that a spiritual leader should help you do is stop being controlled by your sin nature. So again, Paul points out to these Corinthians, hey guys, you're still acting out of jealousy. You're acting, um, you're quarreling and fighting. These are two signs that you're living out of immaturity. Remember when we were going through James um, just a few months ago? James 4 says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And so spiritual leaders to help you move beyond that uh, that living by your sin nature. And again, it's a little abrasive. There's times where it's a little challenging, a little pushy. Um, you know, some pastors tiptoe through the tithers, right? Have you heard that? Tiptoe. Don't offend anybody. Don't push anybody, right? Um, people get offended when they get pushed. I know I, I can. I don't like that process. It's uncomfortable. And yet a spiritual leader is there to help you move beyond being controlled by your sin nature. And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing in Corinthians here is pushing these guys to move past their pettiness and their immaturity. Move beyond, the last thing I think we see in this chapter is move beyond a dependency on spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders are there to serve a purpose they're provided to you by God, which we're going to see in the next chapter. And you're to submit to them. You're to follow their leadership. But you don't want to put them in the position of God in your life. You don't put them in front of God. And it's easy at times to grow dependent on a leader, to grow uh, in an appreciation and a connection and, and all that. But here's the problem with that is if a leader moves on, then a lot of people's faith just kind of stops. They don't keep growing. And so um, good leadership, again, is trying to help you get connected to Jesus, first and foremost. 
And, and relationships happen, and they should. And it's awesome to have lifelong relationships with leaders that are meaningful and helpful, and, and that's powerful. Nothing wrong with that. But again, that dependency where I'm saying, okay, without that person, without that leader, I can't grow. Maybe I'm going to step back. I'm going to shut down. That's where it becomes a problem. Um, I think in all of this, remembering that leaders, again, play a role, serve a purpose. We don't want to gain a worldly view of leadership, though. Um, Worldly leaders are selfish. They have selfish plans. They can be oppressive. They use us to accomplish their goals. Um, And they respond to praise and to uh, gifts and to that kind of thing. You can play them, right? But good spiritual leaders are to be servants. And they're to serve alongside you in accomplishing God's mission, following Jesus. If we're no different than the world, if we hold our pastors up and we put them up like celebrities or spiritual leaders, we're again playing into a, a pattern our culture has, which is destructive. It causes problems and it can cause a lot of hurt in people, right, when that gets out of place. And so certainly this was causing issues in Corinth. They were misplacing their leaders, putting them in positions they shouldn't be, growing in dysfunctional dependency on them, even pitting them against each other, right? Well, this is my leader that I follow. Well, this is my leader I follow. Well, my leader's better than your leader. You know, it kind of reminds me when I was in school where um, we'd say uh, to another kid who was picking on us, well, my dad can beat up your dad. That was only if you couldn't win the fight, you'd say that. But Hey, um, but you know, it's that kind of behavior. Well, again, that's fine when we're in grade school. That's fine when we're young, but we've got to grow beyond that. And that's what Paul's saying here. So moving beyond that means that we put down our ego, our pride, our sin nature. We don't attach that to our leaders in our churches and even to our churches. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 in 18 and 20, I'm not reading the whole passage here, but we're hitting the, the spots that, that I'm trying to walk you through these chapters. Verse 18 and through 20 says, Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scripture says, he traps the wise and the snare of, in the snare of their own cleverness. That quote comes out of Job. He's quoting the Old Testament here. And again, in verse 20, he says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they're worthless. That's coming out of the Psalms. So Paul's quoting the Old Testament to say, guys, your pride is getting in the way here. You are using human wisdom to do what you're doing. You need to get humble. We have a lot of human wisdom. As adults, we grow up in the world and we learn to navigate it. We learn how to solve things and how to handle things. And I'm telling you, a lot of times we get off base because we put a lot of weight in human wisdom, whether it's our own, whether it's uh, what our culture says, what we've learned. Paul says, you've got to put that down. You've got to become fools. You've got to humble yourself so you can actually know what to do here. You're making an error. You're living out of your sin nature. You need to listen to the, to the Spirit. You need to follow Jesus. In verses 21 through 23, he says, here's... Um, Here's what leads to true wisdom. He says, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you. Everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter. Or the world. Or life and death. Or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Listen, he names three leaders here that are world class. This church in Corinth was really spoiled. They had the Apostle Paul... 
probably the premier, premier leader for the Christian church. I mean, amazing capacity, amazing drive. He came in and he helped these folks find Jesus. He led them to Christ. He got them started in a church. He didn't even ask any resources from them. He had a job and he did ministry and he built churches all over the Roman Empire. Unbelievable. Powerhouse. Probably one of the best leaders ever within the church. They had him as their leader. Then they had, on top of that, they had the apostle Peter. And I don't know if you remember a little thing about Peter, but the first time he preached, thousands of people came to Christ. He preached boldly in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and thousands responded. Just a little bit of giftedness there, just a little bit of power as a leader. And then Apollos, you know, we don't, we don't know as much about Apollos, but we still know that he was a great order. He was a great leader, great teacher. They had all three of these leaders, and so of course they were getting attached to them. But they were viewing them from a worldly manner. They were incorrectly connecting to them and letting their own pride make them believe that these leaders were there because of them or that somehow this reflected on them. And he's just saying, listen, everything belongs to you. You can benefit from all of these leaders. You can benefit. You don't need to, to handle it the way you are. It's a worldly way to handle it by attaching and letting your pride go into it and then pitting them against each other and then getting in fights about it, you know? Um, he's like, all of these leaders are for your benefit. Uh, I really think that um, for most of my life, I've been able to go into a church, visit a church, sit down, listen to a sermon and benefit, get something out of it. You know, because I'm listening for what the Holy Spirit's saying, what the Word of God says, and leaders are there to help us with that. And so um, this is an error, this is a problem that Paul deals with. Spiritual leaders, right, they fill a role and they fit a purpose and they're to be kept in the, in the right perspective. Um, the next chapter four moves on in this and um, he continues to encourage them that spiritual leaders are for their benefit they're help build a solid foundation on the gospel, and they are to, um, they're to help them in these ways. But he identifies that spiritual leaders are servants of Christ and nothing more. Um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, he says, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Spiritual leaders are put in place to help you understand the mysteries of God, to understand the gospel, to understand how to apply it to your life, how to grow. That's the purpose that they hold. Spiritual leaders are not perfect. They are human leaders. They're put in place by God. They're held to a higher standard, but they can be wrong. They can be off course. And so he says, be careful. He's like, um, you know, I don't get judged or evaluated by anybody but God. He's really the one I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer to. You might think, Pastor John, um, is an amazing per person that gets it right and, and has the right motives and does everything for the right reasons. And I may believe that with you. <laughs> I may agree, right? But Paul is honest enough to say that really he might be wrong. 
in judging his own motives. And so don't be careful of, again, he's saying, you're, you're saying that your leader is more uh, spiritual than their leader. Your leader is right on all these areas and your leader is wrong and you're getting into these battles. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Even a spiritual leader doesn't know. Again, my conscience is clear on things. I disagree with other leaders. I've been in sharp disagreement with other leaders and they have a clear conscience and they believe they're right. He's just like, be careful. Uh, it is God who will judge. He's the only one that knows. So don't get caught up into those disputes Understand what's going on. Understand the human component and the inability at times for us to know exactly what is right and be doing everything the right way. God is the one who will address and will um, judge spiritual leaders. Don't get caught up in their disputes. At times they disagree. Some of you have noted, I just had somebody say to me the other day, I don't understand different interpretations of scripture. Like one pastor is gonna preach the same passage and present a different interpretation than another. And I said, well, yeah, and, and you know, as long as everybody's using a real intentional method to discover what the text says, there is the truth that at times there's different viewpoints that come out, different theological structures that come out. Don't get caught up in that, right? Um, you are to discover, do your own work to come to your own conclusions, but we want to be careful. We want to have some humility with our positions. And I think this passage encourages that, that at times we might think, again, I believe, just ask me, I'm 100% right on things. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, and I love Paul said in another place, where you disagree with me, God will show you that I'm right, you know? I mean, like, this is our human uh, nature, right? This is how we handle it. We've got a strong personality, we're confident, we're trying to do our best. Of course we believe we're going in the right direction. But I love Paul's honesty here. He goes, I, I might be wrong. God knows my true motives. There's times my motives could be wrong. You know, one of the things you might know about leaders is leaders like to be liked <laughs> and leaders like to be needed, right? Well, there's some dysfunction that come into play there where a leader is just wanting to be needed and liked and so he pretty much will do whatever is asked of him or can slip into some areas that aren't right in order to win that favor. And so we're all battling People in churches battling to view leaders correctly. Leaders battling to view their position accurately. We need God's help. We need to grow spiritually. We need to be moving and maturing so that we don't view earthly things in this way. This church was battling with conflict due to their arrogance and egos related to their spiritual leaders. And, uh, and Paul just urges them, Move away from that. Verse, uh, chapter four, verses six through seven. My dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the scriptures, that's those quotes from Job and the Psalms back in chapter three, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of the other. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though, it's, as though it's not a gift? <clears throat> the leaders you have are gifts from God. You did very little to get them, right? As your leader, it's God who's really overseeing it. So be humble about it. Don't allow your ego to get in and mix up and, and frustrate and cause problems in, in churches. We have this issue. And we have this issue in our culture. It's been here in this valley. And the way the church in America grew up was distinctions. What's my theological distinctive? Well, I'm right and you're wrong. And that's how we grew the church in America. And I understand that. 
Okay, it's fine in some ways. However, we need to remember as well that we, uh, those of us that believe the gospel, which is most of the churches in this area, believe the gospel, we're following Jesus and we're pursuing him that we with humility hold our positions. We see that other pastors, and I know a lot of them in this valley, are good men who love Jesus. They got the spirit and they're trying to lead their churches to follow him. And, and so as we interact, we wanna remember that the mission we have is bigger than any of us can handle. Mitchell Brian can't take on the mission of reaching this valley. It's no way. And so we need to work together again for gospel advancement. That's what I love about this Horizon Music Fest. That's what it's about. There's ways in which we can come together to work together. We need to. We need to support those initiatives and be a part of it so that we can fulfill the mission that God has for us. It's easy for us to get in squabbles. It's easy for us to get caught up in conflict. We must grow beyond it. How do you handle conflict? How do you handle these issues? Are you maturing? Are we growing beyond them? so that we get along, we value each other, we see each other correctly, we see the spiritual issues at hand, and we're able to address them in the right way. I think sometimes um, we get caught up easily in conflict, in quarrels. Parents, how do you handle when your kids get into conflict with another kid at school? How do you handle that? Are you able to navigate that with maturity, help them through it, or do you become a part of the battle? Right? And Paul's saying, listen, we've got to grow. God wants us to grow, and that's my heart for you, that our church would continue to grow in maturity, to step in the right direction, put aside the conflict, right? Follow the Spirit, listen to God's instructions to us so that we're maturing in Him. We're growing in Him. God, thank you for your goodness to us, the way in which you call us to follow you. You want to mature us. You provide spiritual leaders for us to help us grow. I pray you continue to help us as we try to mature, move beyond conflict, move beyond the difficulty that we have with others, be able to put you first, be able to listen to what your spirit says so that we can help provide solutions to some of these issues to help people move past some of the pettiness that we get caught in. God, thanks for this book of instruction to the church in Corinth that helps us as well as we try to grow today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.